Hello and welcome to the How Long To Beat podcast. Third time is the charm. We know that, you don't, now you do. Amazing. I am Rick, as always, I'm joined by Alex and Paula. Uh, and it's going to be a disjointed episode on the whole, not just because of my abortion of an intro. Earlier this week, we spent three quarters of an hour talking with the wonderful Keith Webb um, about his career in games, Go Go Coco Polo and everything in between. Um, so you're going to hear that later on. We're going to splice that in the middle. Before that, we've got an update on the Fantasy Critic League. Another month has gone by. More games have come out and more points have been awarded. Um, and then, as always, we're going to talk about what we've beaten, played, retired, not necessarily in that order. And we'll finish off with everybody's favourite diversion. How, How long, long to be the, the game? game. <laughs> and without further ado, before we, before we get in, lead us in, Alex. Yeah, this is it. It's time now for that Fantasy Critic League segment. And I'm just saying, I'm still leading. Anyway, tell them all about it, Avatage. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm Avatage, and welcome to your How Long to Beat Fantasy Critic League roundup for May 2021. There was a little shuffling about on the leaderboard last month with a few first-time point scorers entering the mix, leaving Ashmasters as the only publisher still waiting on their first release of the year. So let's look at the current standings. Funky Face Studios, Abbeysoft, General Goods and Horny Mistress maintain their positions in the top four spots, with General Goods having the only release in the group for May, with the long-awaited but critically disappointing release of Biomutant. Frozen Frog jumped up a couple of spots thanks to the release of Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne's HD Remaster which added 9 points to their total. Beatmasters entered 6th place with their first points on the board thanks to Resident Evil Village showing up strong and scoring 14 points for its publisher. Noise Labs, Cockroach Content Corp and CD Projekt Rick all had no releases in May but were bumped down a couple of spots by those previous successes. Poke and Paw also received their first points of the year although Famicom Detective Club, the girl who stands behind, only managed five points, which was thankfully still enough to put them on the board. A silver lining for CD product refund thanks to the release of Mass Effect Legendary Edition that scored a solid 17 points and pulled this publisher out of the depths. Finally, Mango is still feeling the pain from Balan Wonderworld as they remain at the bottom of the pack, even after the release of Famicom Detective Club The Missing Air, which added five points to their total. Only a few publishers added to their roster during May, so let's have a look at who made some changes. Mango successfully acquired Scarlet Nexus for $1 and Shovel Knight Dig for $1, leaving them with $69 left in their budget. General Goods successfully acquired Age of Empires 4 for $5, which I incorrectly included in last month's roundup, but it was actually acquired during May, and left them with $80 left in their budget. And Abisoft successfully outbid Mango and acquired Lost Judgment for $50, filling their roster and leaving them with $39 left in their budget. So that's how the Hell on to Beat Fantasy Critic League shaped up for May 2021. There are currently nine titles awaiting release in June, which means there's a lot of potential for leaderboard changes and surprising sleeper hits to creep in, as well as Ashmasters getting their first release and first points on the board. Plus, we're heading into that later half of the year where many picked games have only estimated release dates, leaving a big question mark over what will actually be completed. Good luck to everyone who has releases in June, and let's hope for some exciting announcements along the way. Back to the podcast. 
Mm, that sounded so good. And it's so nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still just trying I'm trying uh, to gloat for as long as I can because if things do go topsy turvy once all the E3 stuff comes out and people pick up a bunch of great games, at least for about five months of the year, I've been leading the Fantasy Critic League. <laughs> Listeners don't even need to hear the update. They'll know how it's going depending on how you lead it in. It's going to come to set down. It's like, all right, here's your fucking update. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. In a month or two, I'll be like, <sighs> <laughs> fucking, fucking Pokemon Diamond remake, 35%. For fuck's sake. <laughs> and speaking of Pokemon, segue, mm. uh, I, this week, have beaten my first and probably last ever Pokemon game, Mainline. Ooh. I had a lot of preconceptions going into Pokemon Soul Silver, which is the game that I completed. Unfortunately, most of them were confirmed. Mm. And, and this is sort of the thing. There is a charm. There is an undeniable charm to Pokemon at its core when everything comes together. The problem is that it feels like it actively wants you not to get to the good bits. Mm. Uh, the computer is just laborious to go through. The HM system can go die in a ditch. There's so many little niggly delays and slowdowns and obfuscations. I just couldn't get into it. And I, it got a slightly generous seven. There were parts where I did enjoy myself. And I can fully understand, and, and we've said this before, and this is another thing that I feel like, having finally taken the time to play one of these things, it's been confirmed that I can totally see where if you were a child that grew up with it, like you did Alex, and I know you did Paula, mm-hmm. those things don't really matter because you have infinite time. You don't give a fuck. You're just enjoying catching Pokemon. Mm-hmm. The other wrinkle is I played Shin Megami Tensei first, and Shin Megami Tensei just straight up did it first, did it better in terms of collecting all the creatures, the fusion system, negotiations way more fun than throwing a ball at them and hoping that the RNG like fall in your favor. It's so stupid. Um, you made them say for those negotiations, at least that's the one I remember playing like the most. Those negotiations, oh my god, I can't speak today. <laughs> negotiating with a demon in that game. When you talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty random. Talking to the demons can be like hard. Like sometimes it's just pretty arbitrary what they want to say or not, or it's just a roll of dice. But you feel like you have some agency. Yeah, you have some some agency on that, and it's actually like pretty fun because each demon has like a lot of sequence of dialogue, and they talk in some of their personality, and like Pokemon. Yeah, see, what you missed, Rick, is you missed out on being a child and pressing the A button because you thought that that was going to help you catch the Pokemon. <laughs> that was the agency. Uh, you were like, come on, memories. come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and this is the thing. Like, there's there's a childlike wonder to it where yeah. you would get bundled into that and those things just would melt away and wouldn't matter. It's I came a- to it late. I came to it having played better. I came with it with having less time and, and knowing what the what the pain points were going to be. Honestly, if it weren't for the fact that I'd sort of come in and thought, I want to finish a Pokemon game so I can at least like know whether I've been talking out my ass for 15 years or whether I actually had a point in what I thought about them. Because it, there's a massive part in the middle, maybe between gym number two and gym number seven, where I just could not give a fuck. <laughs> I really bored. That's, that's the point where I fell off about nine months ago. So I can't remember whether I talked about it the very first episode when we came back. Um, I had Soul Silver and Bravely Default on the go. Bravely Default, the combat is just a million times better. Yeah. Um, so I, I I put Soul Silver down to focus on that, 
And I'd put it down at a time when it was just really not connecting to me. And I've just been putting it off to go back to. So I had to, I had to get a guide so I at least knew where I was going and in what order to force myself to get back into it. But once you've got a team that, that's relatively well put together, the fun comes again. But then you've got to slog all the way to the Elite Four. It's like a load of boring battles that are underleveled. This is another thing, just before I, I finish off, because I've, I've more or less covered everything I wanted to say. The battles in the field are way too easy, and consequently, most of the Pokemon you get are underleveled. The bosses, up until like the last gym, and then the Elite Four, I beat them first time, it was actually kind of a cakewalk, are like overleveled. And even with a type advantage, there's an expectation of grinding. And the grinding is no good in this because you, you only get the experience. And I've, I've had this argument with a couple of people. No XP share across the party is bollocks. <laughs> because all it means is, oh, I'm going to spend my first turn swapping the Pokemon out so I at least get a modicum of XP share. That's not good design. That's a bollocks workaround. And I can't believe that it's something that's been put up with for so long. Well, so, it wasn't put up for that long, to be honest, because they added the XP share in like pretty quickly after that um and then like people right. cried about it true. i know but yeah I... but this is okay you're delving like even like a little foot into the issue with pokemon <laughs> so like <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> this is the problem man like there's a lot of shit that you would think would just be like smart design and then it's like you put it in they go fuck you i liked that thing <laughs> it's like mm. <laughs> it, here's my hot take it should be a slider like permadeath on the newer Fire Emblems. What you, uh, yeah, player oh, choice. oh, I see. That's player a good choice idea. is king. I, I'm yeah. full of them. This is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, so, uh, sorry, go on. Because you said, like, there is, like, a very wide jump of uh, levels between, I think it is between the Elite Four and then, like, going through the quote-unquote post-game stuff, especially when you go for, to the final boss of the game. That level jump is stupid. Oh yeah, the final boss. You mean Lance, like between four and five? No, no. no. You didn't. You didn't beat the game entirely. There's a part that. Oh no, 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 no! I, I, I fully recognise that. Like the post credits, like the other part of the game, there was zero chance of me. Like, oh, I know. Going within three feet of that. Oh, then I can talk about it. (laughs) You can, you can say whatever you want. I'm never going to play it. I'm selling my copy of Soul Silver. I'm not keeping it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so in the second part of the game, you go through Kanto. Mm-hmm. And you beat like all eight gym leaders, and the final right, boss okay. is red. Oh, from the first game. Okay, he yeah. has a level eighty-eight Pikachu. Yeah, he's very and is strong. this the battle that you were cheesing with Metronome when you completed it a couple of weeks ago? Um, I didn't tease with Metronome, uh, but I did cheese right? using a uh, level eighty Togekiss, I think. Hmm. I, level 80 was cheesing. Goodness gracious me. Yes, yeah, so my, my, my party finished with like a level 47 Lugia and level 44 Typhlosions and, and Gyaradoses. There was no way I was going to level 88. <laughs> it just wasn't happening. Honestly, no, it, it, you don't really need to go like that high in levels to, to beat the game, but it is advisable. You have at least like one really high level member on your party. Because otherwise, you're going to get demolished. Since I, I got a Togekiss, that is a, a tank that had, like, a really high special attack. Some of my team members had, like, good coverage and a lot of uh, HP or defense to go with, like, to support the Togekis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Togekis did was survive the, the attacks the other team members couldn't survive. Use Asian power, get that boost for all the stats, and then 
demolished the red team. But that the, that final battle is like a 20 level jump, if I remember correctly, from the previous like trainer you battle, you have to battle. Yeah, fuck that. That's not it's, yeah, it's kind of disgusting. The thing is, is that adding like the the experience tier, the way they did it in the later games, it broke. The game broke. Like, uh, it makes games, it way too easy, I've been told. The games yeah. were always broken. The idea that these games were ever not broken is a friggin' joke. I mean, the first game is notoriously broken. They all are. And that's fine. Like, I actually, I kind of <laughs> love that. The fact that it is, is fine. <laughs> because when I was a kid, I was a dumb child. So I just fucking leveled the shit up out of my blast toys and I beat the entire game. You know what I mean? Like in the first one. And then I kind of did the same in the second. You know? And then like when you get older, you're like, oh, I could actually share this around and I could play this better, you know? And like, in some ways, I do think it has a lot of choice. But something that's interesting, Rick, is that, uh, and I think just unfor, it's just your critiques are actually similar to the critiques I'm going to levy at a game that I beat this week. Um, in the sense that if you played this when it sort of came out, like especially Crystal, because um, this is really what Soul Silver is basically Crystal, right? Like it, it takes all those updates mm-hmm. and added. That in the base was, game, the whole remake and everything else, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that game was basically a, like it, it was basically like an MMO, essentially. Like you weren't actually playing online with everybody, but it had all these timed things that you were supposed to do. So the idea is that you're supposed to check in on the game, and it was like something that you would do all the time. And I actually did this a lot. Like it was like I didn't often play Crystal in huge long bursts. I would actually play it at various times throughout the day and various times throughout the week. I'd be like, oh, it's time to go check in and get my thing and do this and do that. Um, and so anyway, it was just kind of neat in that way um but it doesn't work now right like come on who's got time for that shit uh, you know what i mean um not me well exactly right <laughs> like these days there's just no time for it but i don't know anyway what what else have you beaten that's enough beating the dead pikachu um <laughs> that's a title contender right there um so i've got two of the completions the first one uh, is an interesting one so since i sorted out all the vita hacks once i once i'd like safely finished uh, psychedelic and i could try and do the sd to vita setup again uh, which i've done uh, i downloaded a home a load of homebrews and one of them uh, is the pathway so it's like a, a fan-made one-to-one recreation of pt um, and it's quite fun because it's stylized tp on the uh, on the on the home bubble hmm. on the vita for for the pt comparison um it's just really cool that 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 teaser game as it were has got legs and is being preserved and despite having like watched multiple playthroughs when the thing first came out um the the remake still managed to, to give me a fucking jump scare because there's the one of one of the loops around the around the corridor there's a bit where the bathroom door won't open but you can hear noises and when you stand next to it for a few seconds it creeps open a crack and then a creature comes out and i almost threw my vita over my shoulder it was it was really good so anyone who's got access to Vita Homebrews, go and check that out. That's great. And then I played a, a classic that I had a much better time with, which was this month's game of the month, Super Metroid. Mm. It's an interesting one because I, I went into it worried that it would be another Super Mario World or another, you know, foreshadowing for the game that you've beaten this week, Alex. It actually holds up remarkably well, mostly. Uh, mm-hmm. There's an underwater biome called Meridia, which is trash tier it just really isn't any fun at all yeah. um and it, it brought the game down a whole point that that sort of 45 minute segment that i was in that area there's also like various quality of life things that other games have iterated on that that it it suffers for not having uh mainly in terms of the map but also in, in the way that it sort of tutorializes a few things people sort of wank themselves off over the little creatures that show you how to wall jump but they don't really show you how to wall jump they, they show you that you can wall jump 
it's only like through stumbling on a random forum post that someone like clocked me onto the fact that you have to press the direction just slightly before you press the jump button for the wall jump to reliably trigger. And that that's bad tutorializing because it, it hasn't told you anything. It's just left you in a situation where it's like, well, I know I can do this. Why isn't it working? Ah. So there was a period in game design where no one knew how to do a fucking wall jump and it was a nightmare. The person who invented let the character sit on the wall for a second and then jump is a saint because until then it was just okay uh, tap the button real good uh, there's no feedback but hopefully it works <laughs> like and and this just as, as a minor diversion because you make a really interesting point and this is something uh, that we actually talk about very briefly in, in the discussion later with uh, with keith how sort of everything gets homogenized in terms of what are the classics and what falls through the cracks mm-hmm. and i feel like so much of the time these problems are solved by people in those cracks mm-hmm. because if, if people were just like oh yeah metroid's the template you know may- maybe we don't get good wall jumps in the f- future because whoever fixed it just got no sunlight acknowledgement and that that solution to a problem is never spread promulgated mm-hmm. is the word that i was looking for before i said spread mm-hmm. but yeah it's the game holds up ultimately it's a weird one because i played loads of metroidvanias I've played all the other 2D Metroids apart, of it, apart from this coming to it. So it, it's actually a testament to the game itself that in spite of, of those handicaps, I suppose, I still left with a really, really strong impression of the game. Amazing world design as well. For, mm-hmm. for a 2D game that, that's that old, it really builds a, a good atmosphere. Um, I had headphones on because I'd, I'd heard good things about the audio design as well, and that was, that was absolutely a good decision. So I, I had a blast with that and... Anyone who's thinking about participating in the game of the month this month, absolutely do it because it's, uh, it's a good month to be playing it. So that that's everything from me. If I can sort of take us over to you, Paula, next, because I've seen that you've played two of Cecile Richards' uh, Backlog Spectaculars. Yay! Hope and Topography. Those were, like, fantastic games. I think Topography uh, being, like, a little bit designed, like, after Tumblr mm-hmm. didn't quite land with me, but... Uh, the overall theme still like was pretty close to home in some in some aspects. Hope I think is probably my favorite from the Cecilia Richard so far. Um, maybe because of how close to home it hit and mm-hmm. how well I think it represented the theme it was trying to convey. So yeah, that is like totally recommended from my part. Like. Go play it. It's five minutes. Go do the thing. <laughs> and Hope no, especially had a... Sorry, go on. No, go on, go on. I, I was just going to say Hope especially, because um, I, I clipped with that one quite well as well. Um, it's set to like a proper song by a proper band, and their music's really good as well. So, yeah, another reason to go and check that one out. In a less positive mode... Oh my god, I can't speak today. That's the effect that Diabolic Lovers has had upon you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I have thoughts on this game like this game was like one of the top most wanted for an english localization to the point it was a meme because everyone asked for it like in the on the on those like interview thingies or like google form thingies like the companies that put out you know like which games to localize next everyone knows that it's not gonna get localized or the chances are like really slim especially because of the topics conveyed on the on the game and it's also like one of the niche automated titles in terms of like 
the size of the audience is targeting because there's a certain archetype of, uh, of a character. It is usually like known as janitor. You can say it's like more a more sadistic character. Uh, you could say like one way or another, all six of the characters presented as of interest for Yui, the protagonist, are janitor. Paulette does not like that archetype. Paula did not have a good time um, most of the time. Paula is dissociating and talking in the third person to distance (laughs) herself from those negative emotions. (laughs) Paula mad. (laughs) Paula smash. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, even though I didn't not like it enough to drop it entirely, at the very least, I wanted to give it a fair chance because of how a lot of people seem to like the game from the Otome import community. And also, since it was like this myst- uh, this mythical beast that everyone was talking about, yet uh, nobody that didn't speak Japanese could get to, and I saw there was like this uh, fun English translation over here, I, did the- I bit the bullet, tried it, went through all six routes, got the main ending for each character, plus the epilogue. Story-wise, it is a mess, because there's, like, so many things it sets up, and it could have been, like, really well executed. It, it would have been, like, a very good ex- a very good story if it was well executed, which it wasn't. The characters, three of them, deserve to rot in the darkest hell imaginable because Gosh. of the things they do to the poor protagonist. This isn't, like, BDS... BDSM, I think it is? BDSM, yeah. Yeah. This is fucking abuse. There, There's a limit. I I tend to tolerate some of the harsher characters on some of the Otome games, but one of them, in Diabolic Lover especially, hit the limit and now was like, okay, I finished this route, fuck him, I don't want to know anything more about this character. Uh, sorry, this game made me mad in so many instances, and the worst thing is that uh, nearing the end of the game, like, when I was, like, done with the first three routes of the game, I actually started enjoying, like, uh, a lot more of the scenes. One of the characters was still, like, cheaty, and I didn't like him because... And this is, like, re- really weird, because he-, he seems to be, like, one of the favorites. But the way he took... Ugh... Sometimes it made me imagine like these like perverted, perverted old men, and I was like, "Ew, get the fuck out of here!" So Paula didn't have a good time in that route. Like, even the even if the writers wanted like to make the character appear like, oh, he's learning and he's like acting like a lot uh, more. I don't know, like he he's changing for the better or anything. I didn't care about the character enough to even like care about the changing for the wood stuff. Uh, one of the other characters that was like the last route I played, it was Suvaru, uh, was better written, but it was really rushed. So the change of heart he had was like from what one chapter to the next, instead of like this gradual thing that would have been better. And my favorite route, Reiji, it was it was for a very stupid reason because like this character actually has rules in place. Like this is like the one character that is like these five fuckers are like bringing disgrace to the family. 
I'm gonna like be the actually one person in this household that is like at least going to behave uh, like in public spaces and stuff like that. Not only that, but I think I mentioned this earlier, but the reason Yui was brought to this mansion was to be like this sacrificial maiden to decide like who of the six brothers was supposed like to inherit like the the castle because they were like vampire royalty or something. As um, one is. <laughs> as one is. That old trope. That old trope. Oh my god, like I don't know where to begin with this one. But like the so these six vampires like the way vampires are handled here is that they're more like i guess how they do like demons in japanese mythology they're like they are born that way but you can like turn into a vampire by certain conditions so these vampires were born vampires they're they're still mortal they're still suck blood uh they're not nocturnal but don't necessarily like die with sunlight they're weak to silver and i'm trying to see if i'm forgetting something they have familiars which only one of them really uses i was like what's the point of giving them powers if they're not using the powers and uh, some of them can uh, can fly to mind control stuff um, their powers like intensify like in a full moon and shit like that. Okay, so just throw some random werewolf magic in there. Yeah, and Dewey, on the other hand, and this is like the one thing I was like, I want to know more about Dewey, because like her father who sent her, sent her to this vampire film mansion isn't even her father, it's her adoptive father. And Dewey, I don't know if she was abandoned, if she was born dead or whatever, but some stupid vampire thought it was like the perfect vessel to bury this like um, vampire's heart on and like pretty much like be the vessel for this other vampire spirit or some convoluted thing they did. Which by the way only went uh, somewhere like in half of the route. But uh, thanks to this vampire heart like we grew up with, she's like... The one sacrificial maiden who actually goes through awakening without losing herself. Because it seems like when a human turns into a vampire, things can go really bad for the human. Like, the human may not actually turn into a vampire and may die instead. So there were like these rules more or less in place. And the game ignores them like half of the time, so I'm like, you and like, why even bother placing them in the first place? Because, for example, the um, vampire, like the the way it works, it's like if the heart is like intact, it seems like the vampire is not like fully dead or some shit like that. So Cordelia, who was the owner of that heart, started like manifesting inside Julia uh, and taking over her body and some of the roads. I don't know, like, what makes it, like, happen. Because there was, like, one route when it went, like, full possession. And, like, the objective of the route was, like, pretty much, like, trying to recover the duty and, like, getting rid of the possession. Which, uh, it was, like, the one route I actually enjoyed because something was actually happening. And the love interest of the route wasn't, like, the one harming Julie. 
You was the one trying to save her. And I don't even want to get started in the family tree of this vampire because... There's more. That. <laughs> There's more. I, I, I'll uh, be really honest with you here. I'm not following most of this. <laughs> don't worry. I wasn't following most of that. Too. Oh like, God. I have to take notes because it was like... Okay, so Ayato and Freddy... No, Ayato, this one and this one are supposed to be, like, from the same mother. These other two are from the same mother. And this last one is, like, from another mother. Okay. Vampires I feel like this is an indictment in itself, because this is your wheelhouse, and you're just like, I don't know what's happening here. I can't make <laughs> sense of this. Yeah, oh. like, so, so, yeah, like, I still enjoyed part of the game for what it was. I did my best to like keep an open mind but there were like times where it was just wasn't clicking with me other parts were like okay this is not for me but i can see like the appeal for some people actually the game is really pretty it the the voice textures generally are good like the the one that stuck out like a sort of thumb was ayato's voice texture because i don't know he's in word like half of the time the others were like Spot on on every line, and like Ayato was like the weird one out. And uh, the music, it was it was pretty good. It it even has like a remix of Scarborough Fair, and it is one of the most beautiful, calming versions of that song that I've ever heard. And I've heard a bunch. Still, the writing leaves a lot to be desired at some points. It doesn't have like cohesion between the routes. And it doesn't have like an overarching plot that resolves like with one uh with one specific crowd like let's say Color Cross Malis or Cafe Enchante or uh Pio Fiore or Code Realize that have like this route that is considered like the canon route that ties everything together with a little ball. This game doesn't have that. So when I finished the sixth route, I was like, now what? Now what? I, I finished the game, but it doesn't feel like I finished the game. So yeah, like, the only people I would recommend this game to is like a specific type of Otome player. Like, if you like Otome games, well, by by no means play this, uh, by no means this should be like your first Otome game, because it will scare the shit out of you, out of it. But if you are a seasoned Otome player, you want to play more, you want to see what the Japanese have, only play this one if you like characters such as Yang from Pio Fiore, uh, Sang from Code Realize, Toma from Amnesia Memories, or what was his name? Lettuce Head, Saber Lettuce, the one from Color You're Cross the Maddie, wrong people hair. if you're trying to get That's us to help you here. <laughs> 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 like, I don't know what you're... <laughs> Sorry, I, I <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, sorry, I I I, for, I actually forgot his name. <laughs> okay, dear listener, if you know, if you like any of those characters and you like like vampire romance and shit like that, go for it. Otherwise, uh, skip it. There's so much more stuff you could be playing out there, even like in the indie scene of Otome. So yeah, that's that's my sandstorm for diabolic lovers. Well, me and, me and Paolo have both had our rants. Alex, why don't you uh, oh, finish God. up the try and buy it? <laughs> All right, yeah. So I beat one game this week, which was kind of like a, a throwback. So I beat Earthbound on the SNES uh, because I, I connected my SNES Mini and, you know, I hacked it. And I've got all these SNES games on it. And Earthbound, I had gotten about three quarters of the way through that game. 
and that stupid save file was like staring me in the face. And I had just read the boss fight books um, on Earthbound, which is okay. It's not, it wasn't, it's not my favorite of the boss fight books that I've read thus far, but it was more just like a guy kind of like re- recollecting on Earthbound as he was like playing through it as an adult again. Anyway, but all that aside, <sighs> this this game doesn't hold up in the slightest. And like, I, I, I feel bad talking about this because this game is really, really special to a lot of people. And I can see why. I feel like if you played this game on the SNES when it came out, this game would have probably been just incredible because it's really different, right? Like it's, um, you know, it's quirky. It's it's not, you know, a bunch of big heroes going to save the world. It's kids who are going off and like they're on an adventure to save the world. world. And they get, <laughs> but they get sad and they get up, you know, they get homesick and they're also not very good at it sometimes. And you also have to go through weird existential moments um, throughout it. And the problem is that I now live in a world where every motherfucking indie developer who makes an RPG played that game and has made all their games quirky. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> it doesn't feel novel anymore, you know? And I, I've said this before and like, you know, oh my God, here's the cliche. I'm going to mention Undertale when talking about Earthbound. But like, it's just that for this generation now, and I realize that Undertale has maybe already become what Earthbound is. Like, you know, Undertale replaced Earthbound in the sense that it was this fun, quirky, interesting thing. But now I think when people go to play Undertale, they're like, whatever, man. It's not that, you know what I mean? Like, it's already hit that thing where people are like, oh, it's overrated. And I'm sure it'll have a renaissance when, you know, people who were young who played Undertale at the time, when they become older, they'll be obsessed with it again, too. Like, people were with Earthbound, but... I don't know. I wanted to love this game a lot, but God, it was a goddamn slog near the end. Like, holy shit. The inventory management. Look, we have a whole fucking episode titled I'm Not Here to Sort Inventory. And that's what this game is. Like, Jesus, there is so much inventory to sort. And it's terrible. And it's just, it's just, it's not fun. It's just not a fun game. Like, it genuinely isn't fun. You know, like, I going through it and like, the, the turn-based combat is not enjoyable. It's just not. Like, there's all these stat. Oh, God. I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it, and I only beat it, like, a few days ago. <laughs> this is making me really sad, because this is one that... I, I feel like I'm exactly where you probably were at the start of this, where I want to love it, and I, I feel like there's a lot to love in there. But you're, you're making me very worried to go and play it. I'm not I am getting worried worried too here's what i suggest i genuinely suggest because i had to so i dropped it for so long that i booted up i went where the fuck am i (laughs) so i had to get a let's play going and like watch where the dude was before it and i was like okay that's the quest i'm on okay and then i was like now i you know what i mean i kind of get it and i certainly looked at a guide through a number of sections because there's some hard parts here and i just you know (sighs) i think you should just watch this you I was sh- about to say exactly that. I'm wondering if I can just find a, a let's play and like watch it at double speed or something like that, and so get yeah. the bits that you need to get without having to suffer through the anachronistic gameplay. Yeah, and as, 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 as counterintuitive as that sounds, but I feel like we're probably on the same page there. Well, and because also the reality is that there are like I found this one, and I actually think I'm gonna I'm going to watch the rest of it because I watched a couple of his videos and he's like commenting over it, which I know some people don't like, but. He knows a lot about Earthbound and it's like, 
I actually think it's better that way because it's a chance for me to see why the game is important to people, right? Like I read the Earthbound like a director's book. commentary side of thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, and like, and a commentary from someone who had played it when they're young. And like, in that sense, I understood why this game was so important to people. And it, it made me respect the game more. And it made me like happier about the game and like interested in, in it. And like, I still think it's a worth, it's worth experiencing. I just... I don't think it's no. I don't think it is worth experiencing as a game anymore. I just don't really think it's worth that because it's long. It took me a long time to get through this, and it felt longer than it was. Um, How long does it take to beat? Let's find out. It, it's about twenty something hours. I, I think. Um, what did I? <laughs> That's yeah. what I was going for. There you go. What was my time? I think my time was twenty six hours. Um, yeah, that is I, especially if the game drags like that because I. I didn't talk about it in terms of Pokemon. Pokemon took me 33 hours and it felt every single minute of it. And it sounds like that's 28 hours for you. It was 28, 35, at least on the SNES mini thing. Yeah, it, God damn, it was, it was slow fucking going, man. Like I had some podcasts going and I was like, holy shit. And like clever writing and all that and good stuff. And, and I appreciate what it has done for video games. Put it that way. Like it, it, it's very much, it's like watching an old movie. It's like watching Citizen Kane and being like, although I actually think Citizen Kane holds up. Anyway, maybe that's... Say that. I mean, but this is a quirk of the medium. Like yeah. watching a movie as a fundamental experience doesn't really change. Yeah. But because you as a player have input and involvement in every stage of the game, the anachronisms really do fundamentally change your experience depending on when you come to it it's just uh it, it's one it you know yet another case for the argument that games aren't movies and we shouldn't treat them so yeah honestly it just made o- me unless sad. they don't they, unless they don't play very well anymore in which case please do treat them like a movie. oh yeah there you go yeah right um i don't know it just like i just felt sad do you know what i mean like when i beat it i was just sad i was like i wish this i wish i liked this more you know what i mean like it's one of those things where like all the pieces were there for me to like it and I just didn't. And I don't know. Unless you played this when you were younger, I just doubt it'll click with you that much. I, I have I don't think I've actually met anyone who played Earthbound as an adult who raves about it. Like I just yeah, haven't. No, I mean, you yeah. know? Anyone I ever talked to is like, Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but Mother Three I've heard excellent things about. And um, that's yes. another one I'm really looking forward to come to. I, I am gonna Especially play Mother it. Three, yeah. With it being on the GBA, which is like one of yeah. the best systems. Localized so. Mother 3. All right. I got Woo! that out of the way. <laughs> that's never that's never happening. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's 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 put that one to in bed. T- well, I was gonna say in terms of segues, in terms of games that, that have aged horrifically, why don't you tell us about uh the retirement of ZZT? Yeah, so <laughs> Look, I was never going to beat ZZT, um, but okay. I had I had fun with it. Um, again, I was from the books I was reading. It was it wasn't going to happen, but uh, really interesting and neat. There's actually tons of different parts to it. There are a lot of fan ones you can play. Um, I don't have much to say. Not, nothing more than what I said last week. Just check it out because it's neat. I also retired uh, Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse for the SNES. Uh, this isn't actually bad. I just didn't vibe with the platforming control style. So it's, it's a platformer and you control Mickey Mouse. It's kind of weird. Like you get like three costumes in it. The first one is like, you know how like games did that like like the turban as like the magic thing and like i, I do now I, I, i'm also just thinking of paula yeah. when she showed up five minutes ago oh, yeah. <laughs> paula's put on a blanket and stuff yeah this, this is going to mean nothing for the people that are listening but while uh, while alex was getting all sad over earthbound 
Um, at, at the time of recording, it's like 11 p.m. for Paola. Maybe maybe it's getting a bit chilly. It's 25 degrees here in the UK, so I cannot relate. But uh, out of nowhere, this blanket just goes and shawls around her head, and she's all snuggled up like a bug in a rug. She looks um, very cozy. Absolutely, yeah. Right. That yeah. that diversion aside, <laughs> turban magic user. Yeah, it's like the Aladdin outfit when Aladdin becomes a prince, like when he becomes like Prince Ali kind of thing. For those who okay. can imagine it, yeah, they put that on, and suddenly he's got magic powers. And I was just like, hmm, bro, I don't like that. <laughs> but like, I'm like, I don't vibe with this at all. <laughs> like, uh, but anyway, it's just. The game's weird. There's no run button. You just It's just moving, which always kind of bothers me in a platformer. I'm like, let me go fast. Um, either let my character move fast or like let me press twice to dash or something. But anyway, you, you the Y button picks shit up. I don't really dig that. It's like you pick it. It's kind of like the Super Mario Bros. 2, but bad. And so like you just like pick stuff up and like pick these random blocks up and throw them. And I couldn't figure out like there clearly was some kind of way that you could like jump higher, but I couldn't figure it out. And so I got to a level where it was like, no, it's just I was done. I was like, I'm not doing this. It's only a two hour game. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So uh, don't recommend it. I think the Genesis Mickey Mouse games are apparently really good um it's like castle of illusion or something like that um which are really nice but anyway if you want to see like an an interesting platformer and you really like platformers give it a shot it's kind of neat um but didn't rub didn't didn't quite work for me um the other one that i played which i nearly threw my snes mini out the fucking window because this is such a stupid game and i'm really pissed off because this game is on like top 100 lists so again this is why i hate lists uh, but uh so like people talk about this game as if it's good and i'm infuriated i have a fucking bone to pick with spider-man and venom maximum carnage which is the most fucking 90s name of any game i've ever played because if you were a kid in the 90s and you liked spider-man spider-man venom and carnage were the obsession of the 90s when it comes to spider-man now this is made by ljn which if you've ever watched the angry video game nerd you'll know that ljn has made some fucking bullshit and this is one of those fucking games where it looks like it's good like you think it might be but it's not it's a side scroll and beat em up and spider-man looks like a fucking psychopath in this like he's straight up like his sprite is like like he's like his head's like down there's no lines on him and he's just kind of like he walks like some dude who's like roided out or some shit and he has the craziest lines like i will post this in the discord and on our how long to beat site but there is one thing and uh spider-man is in he's surrounded by flames on like a boat okay and he says okay you want to act like animals then i'll treat you like animals from this moment on you'll get no mercy from spider-man and i was like did i miss something in spider-man or is he a psychopath like that he, is very 90s right and there's no symbiote or anything and i was like what but anyway that's not that's just i just thought that was funny but it's terrible like you're you you move side okay so in a brawler right like you, obviously you know you're you're moving across a platform and whatever like you're going side to side but the objectives are so insane like at one point you're in the fantastic Four's headquarters and you have to walk to one side and you get to the end and then it says go go and it points you back the direction you came so you basically just have to go back and forth like an arbitrary amount of times before it's like oh you got the thing and you're like this isn't game design you just sent me back and forth on the level three times what the hell's going on and like hit detection is dumb they also don't show you like 
Like, I don't really mind if I don't see health bars, but you get these enemies. You know what? No, I do mind. You get these enemies, uh, who like boss enemies, who have like a green health bar, and it's just like invincible until it turns red. And they're like, they oh my god, the only way to beat people in this game is you basically just have to run up and spam the punch button. Uh, because if they get off any attack, good fucking luck dodging half of these things. And all the enemies are crazy. They're just like teenagers. Why is Spider-Man beating up teenagers? <laughs> like I just, I just didn't understand. He's just like beating up like random folks. And all the sprites are the exact same all the time. Which, look, I know, I, I it's fine, SNES, whatever. But <sighs> it's so bad. It's just so bad. It's not been a good week for you, has it? Well, in my playing, I'll get to one that has been really good. But no, no, it hasn't. It's been a, it's been a week that made me a very sad boy. <laughs> I just, oh, uh, and I wanted it to be good. Like people said, they liked it, and I was like, what? What? Were you fucking smoking? Like this game is fucking crazy. Like it's so bad. Uh, and Spider Man can do like web slinging, and it's terrible. Like he like swings and like. Okay, look, I would like. I looked up the manual and I still couldn't figure out what was going on because I would press the swing and sometimes he'd just let go halfway through. Like how he would go and he'd just be like, nah, I don't want to swing anymore. Take me, Jesus. And I was like, okay, I guess we're not doing that now. So I was like, what is the point? You can play as Venom though and that was kind of cool, I guess. But he has the exact same moveset as Spider-Man. So what was the point? Again, uh, no. the moveset wasn't different. It was just, oh, oh, you're Venom now, but you're just Spider-Man, but you're black. <laughs> so was like, same moves, double the fun. Yeah, fucking kill me, man. Don't play Spider-Man and Venom. Maximum Carnage. Stupid name. Oh, anyway, Rick, what did you retire? Because I know, Paolo, you got nothing. A shocker. <laughs> in our... In our um... In our like show notes, it's just permanently like in square brackets, tumbleweed for Paolo's retirement <laughs> from week to week. Because there's never any. It's yep. not, there's nothing. I only have one retirement this week, and it, it's just a classic. I don't finish puzzle games. Uh, this ah. is a game called Elis for iOS. Um, they did release an Infinity version. Both have been delisted because mobile gaming fucking sucks. But um, I have a, a copy of the original sat on my old iPod, which I'm slowly trying to plug through before it completely dies on me to make sure I play all the things. It's fine. It's it's a little bit limited mechanically. I can tell you whatever I want. It, it It's not worth jumping through the hoops to find. There's a million other puzzle games that you can just get. So it was fun for the 20 minutes I spent with it. And, you know, that, that was it. Another in Rick's um, back catalog of games you can't play. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's me, games you can't play anymore. Alex's games you should only play a little bit of. Um, yes. And Paola's The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild run number, what are we up to now? Three. Run number three. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes us beautifully into what we're playing this week. Yeah, I've been playing The Latest of the Breath of the Wild. I think I'm like 18 hours in or something like that. I've been enjoying my time with the, with the game. I'm still discovering things I didn't know existed in the game the other day i i actually i actually didn't know you could use food to bait any animal or monster in the game like and for the monsters if you give them food they pretty much stop caring about you and uh and until the food runs out they're, they're just eating and that was like a good trick in case i encounter myself dying somewhere um, that that it had happened about ten times already. 
uh so you're like um on my way to the second divine beast um this time i did ban metal the bird one first and i'm on my way to i'm on goron city and i'm on my way to rudania so yeah fun times i also been filling up the campaign you know fun fact i got like I probably have to send Rick like the link to it, but I got like the best fucking screenshot ever. Not a screenshot, the, the picture. Uh, I was taking a picture of one of the uh, of a high Hylian retriever, and I was about to take the picture, and it did like a playful pose because it was about to start like following its own its own tail. And that's the picture I sent you the the other night, and it was. I think it was adorable, so I, I, I need to share it somewhere. That aside, I've been playing Go 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 Polo according to the game. Um, 54% done with the first character, and it has been a lot of fun. Like, I didn't know I like uh, fast-paced puzzle games, arcade stuff like this. No, I do, and I think I'm gonna like look for more after I finish this one. And finally, I'm replaying the Lion. The Liar Princess and the Blind Prince on the Nintendo Switch. Because this month, there's like, not really a sequel, but a game by the same developers. It has like more, more or less the same art style. And the same kind of storytelling that falls in line like with storybooks or fairy tales and stuff like that. So they are like putting out a, a game this month that is called The Wicked King and the Noble Hero, which is adorable. So I went back and I'm re um, replaying The Liar Princess and the Blind Prince because I never actually like got all the collectibles. And for this game, I would advise you get all the collectibles because they unlock uh, what is called a collection where they give you these little pages with concept art from the game as well as um, developer notes on or design notes on the details they wanted to get right with the characters. And that is pretty cool if you are into like art books and stuff. You like your own digital art book that you unlock during the game. So that's been my week. Um, how about you, Alex? Yeah, so I've been playing uh, much better things. So my week wasn't too <laughs> terrible. Uh, still playing Mass Effect 2 right now. Love that game. I'm doing all the loyalty missions at the moment. It's so good. It looks so good in 4K. Just fantastic. Um, I just I love it. Uh, I haven't played much of Portal 2 with my partner. We'll probably play more of that this week. I've spent most of my time, aka about 23 hours, um, playing Dicey Dungeons, which is a... Oh, roguelites, man. They fucking get me every time. Um, you messages me usually like, I've done it again. <laughs> I did it, yeah. Although this one, you know, it's interesting. This one is less, like, I'd almost call it like a ro like a casual roguelite in a sense. Like it's, the, the way it works is you, um, oh God, how do I even explain this? You're a series of dice going into a dungeon that is controlled by Lady Luck herself. And in each round, you get a roll of dice. Uh, it has beautiful beautiful artwork that kind of looks like steven university sort of like it's like this really beautiful artwork and you have like these cards essentially and then you roll dice each turn and you can slot the dice into different cards um but there are so far i've unlocked six characters and there's like a final round that i'm almost there and in each six there are six different routes that you can play in each one of them and each one slightly changes the rules um so and each character has different um, like plays in a completely different way. 
So it's really neat because I was close. I actually thought like yesterday, I was like, I think I'm going to retire this. It's getting too hard. But what I realized is that like the game is really intelligent because I tend to win more runs than I lose, but I do really feel like every time I'm like really learning. So there's five floors in each one. So each like run of a game, like a success could take you probably half an hour, maybe less to get through it. If you're like getting really good, you can kind of optimize it, but some are more difficult than others. Right. And so you can kind of like, if you're getting stuck on one, it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to go try this one now. Um, or I'm going to bounce back on this one and to like fully beat the game. You don't actually have to beat every single character's run. You have to beat five out of six though. But that's kind of nice because I, so far I'm finding that like, you should be able to beat five out of the six. There might, there's usually like one run in it that you might just be like, dude, I can't do this one unless you like really optimize what you're doing. But it's, it is super fucking good. Like it is just, the gameplay loop is fucking tight and it is kind of different and interesting each time. And you can't like cheese the game, but like at the same time, you really can learn like good strategies. And it feels like each time, like, you know how sometimes in a roguelite you get on a run and you're just like, there's no way, brah, like I'm fucked, you know? Like, it's just like, it's not happening. It always feels like there's hope in each run, um, which is really nice. And like, I, I there's a clear objective each time, um, which I think really helps me. And like knowing the rule set, it's really nice. Like it just kind of changes your your brain on it. And so like, yeah, I've repeated the same five floors now oh, like so many times, but each time I'm coming at it from a new perspective. And that's just, I really like that. I really like that I can choose how I want to tackle it and that it's just my equipment that's random, right? Like the way you play, you choose, but your equipment will be randomized. And the, I don't know, that it's like that little difference makes a big, big, big difference for me in terms of something. So I'm probably going to beat this one. Um, Lupira might've broke the, the the spell for me when it comes to roguelites. Break the leap. Yeah, there it is. Broke it. So now I'm, I'm going to get through them. But again, like I said, this one is kind of casual because like there's a very clear destination set out for you. And like it's 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 not hidden. Like you're not like guessing what you need to do. It's like very clear and it unlocks things in a really steady progression. And you feel like every time you win, you get something, right? Like it's not hmm. like, it's not just like, oh, now that you won this, go replay it a hundred more times. It's like, no, 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 no. You beat that, you're done. You don't ever have to play that like round again you can if you want you never need to you move along right um which i really like and speaking of good side scroller beat-em-ups i'm playing teenage mutant ninja turtles 4 turtles in time on the snes oh that's supposed to be a classic yeah this, it is a fucking classic man this game is dope <laughs> so this is exactly why i i played this after spider-man and i went oh yeah spider-man's fucking trash this is a good game <clears throat> You have four characters. They all play differently. They have different stats. Um, I started playing as Leonardo. That was a mistake because I'm not very good at brawlers. So I went back and played as Michelangelo because his normal attack is much stronger. <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to look up the manual because show it. But like, oh, dude, it's so much fun. You can like, you know, hit them down. Like there's like different combos to like throw them at the screen, to, like bash side to side. Um, you got your special attacks. Like the enemies actually make sense because yeah, they're all like the ninja, the foot clan. But like that makes sense. Like, the Foot Clan is who you're fighting, right? Yeah, it's stupid, but like it's cohesive. And that's actually, that's something I have to say. The the design elements in the world, it's just cohesive. It just all makes sense together. You're like, of course, this is this is the teen, this is the Ninja Turtle world. Like this makes sense. Um, so I really, 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 really like this one and highly recommend it. Like I'm certainly going to beat it. Um, I'm like halfway through right now. It's not long, right? It's like, it's like two hours long. But yeah, just so fucking good. Anyway, 
Rick, take us home. What do you what are you playing? Yeah, so um, I, as you can see, I've got quite a lot on the go. So firstly, um, yeah. with a few of the other as people usual. in the How Long to Beat Discord, I'm, I'm playing a game of... You'll be able to help me with how on earth I'm supposed to pronounce the name of this French town, Alex. Carcassonne. Carcassonne, okay. Um, Isn't it Carcassonne? I don't know. I, I don't really know what I'm Spanish, doing. But if it's Spanish, you're right, Paula. I don't know if it's French or Spanish. I, I don't know what I'm doing in the game either, so that, that, that's quite fitting. But... Uh, so it there's three okay. different pronunciations. <laughs> the one that's a board game. Anyway, they, they gave it away on Epic a while back, so you're likely to have it in your library somewhere. It's a board game. It's fine. I, I don't really have a strong opinion of it, mainly because I don't really fully understand what's going on. I don't think I'm yet to win a game. I've played a couple of like um, online ones to try and get a grasp of the rules. I don't really think I understand what's going on. I'll, I'll keep saying that five or ten times more, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. I've been playing some more Mirror's Edge Catalyst, it's Mirror's Edge, and I kind of like that. But the the little things that they get wrong in the sequel, I just find great more and more on me the more and more I play of it. The delivery missions and, and what have you are, are fine. There's like time trial runs where the, the star times just seem complete bollocks. I don't know if it's based on like a, a percentage of the community that's completed it and some people have cheated and ruined the stars. I'm not really sure what's going on. Maybe I just need to get good. I'm playing it and I'm sort of enjoying it, but it's also deeply disappointing in a number of ways as well. Vagrant Story's on there. I haven't really done anything on that just because I was smashing out Pokemon, but I am planning to put more time into that. I started a game on PC called Lictum Battle Mage, which is interesting. It's like a first-person shooter, but you don't have guns. You have like magic spells on your gauntlet. And it's a bit like a brawler because then you've got a block and a counterattack. I've never played anything quite like it, and I, I get the impression that it's a bit of a divisive release so far, and I've only played maybe 45 minutes, so that this is subject to change either way. So far, I actually quite like it. I think it does a lot of really interesting things. It's just about at the limits of, of what my poor 960M graphics card can do in my laptop, but uh, I, am, I am having a good time with it, and touch wood that will continue. And then I've got one, two, three, four Vita playthroughs all in one way or another stemming from the from the hacking that i've been doing I you have a problem <laughs> what's the problem oh i have a problem like, <laughs> multiple problems and comprehension is clearly one of them so the, <laughs> the first of those four is the vita port of quake which i played purely as a curiosity i have no intention of playing any more of this it's quake on vita it's actually quite interesting to see this big pc game squeezed down into a little handheld it's not really designed for analog control it's very imprecise with that control method. But it's cool that it's been ported, and all three of the Quake games are on there, so I maybe, I'll maybe have a fiddle with the other two at some point as well. The second and third game are both unlocalized rhythm games that have fan patches that I've been mucking around with. Uh, the first of those is Tycho Trum Master V5. I, I don't really understand quite how it's styled, uh, but that is the most wholesome game going. It's just like these happy little drums, and um, oh, they... Uh, when you when you've completed the a, a song, it'll go great job, Adam. <laughs> it's, it's just like the stupidest English, but it is so charming, and it helps that the game underneath it is really good. The other one uh, is a game called I'm not really sure how you're supposed to say this out loud, but it's I A Stroke V T Colorful. It's kind of more idle themed. The selection of music is excellent. The rhythm gameplay is fine. The idle sort of styling and all the costumes that I could take or leave, I couldn't really give any less of a, of a toss about those. But it, it's been a nice one to play, and, and the music is a real standout, uh, especially compared to, to Tycho Drum Master, because the music there's fine, 
but I feel like the music there is elevated by the drum gameplay. Even on Vita versus, I've, I've had the privilege of playing one of the arcade machines where you've got like the proper sticks and a big drum, and it's a whole other experience there. But even on Vita, it's fine. Whereas in, in IVT, it's the other way around. It feels like the music elevates what is actually quite rote by the numbers rhythm gameplay. Both fun. I'm sure I'll be picking away at both of them over, over the next few months um, in, in fits and starts. And then the last game, and this has been a real a real ride, is a game called Uppers. Now, you can play this, you can play this in English on PC. There was supposed to be a PS4 port, but I don't, I don't know if that's actually happening anymore. But you can play it in English on PC if you don't have a hacked beta. From a mechanical standpoint, there's actually not loads going on. It's quite a basic sort of beat-em-up. If you've ever played any of the Kenka Bancho games, it is exactly that. It's just a continuation of that. What really elevates it is the styling, uh, just to the point of comedy. So the the concept is you are these two best friends who've um, gone to an island in Japan where people who are like thugs and beat everybody up get popular and get like all the ladies. And so you're just on this quest to beat up everyone else on the island and like be the most popular person, people. This extends to uh, when you're fighting, there'll be like groups of girls just stood around the, the battle area. They'll shout out, oh, do this. And you'll have like a little dialogue pop up on the screen. So maybe be uh, do three follow-up attacks or um, break a wall by pinning an enemy up against it and, and beating them through the wall. And if you complete those, you get bonus points, but then you can also walk across to them and they'll give you like a health restore in the form of a love letter. It, but this is the thing. It's so <laughs> stupid to the point of comedy and it gets better. Now, this could be, because it's a fan translation, this could be a quirk of the translation. It could be tongue firmly in cheek, but I feel like the, the, the patch came out a little bit too early for that to be the case. Uh, but you have like, there's eight, I think, in total, female characters who are more than just window dressing. They have like a role in the plot. And you can pick one of them to be like a support character when you go on missions. They are called queens. So in all the tooltip dialogues, you're like, make sure to talk to your queens between missions. And in my head, I'm just like, we stand, we stand. <laughs> and, and then once a level, if you run out of health, this thing will trigger where you get like a, a queen assist and it'll just be like, I've only, I've only seen one so far, but it was one where, when my character got like pile drivered and he went flying off the screen and the screen transitions and he's just landed with his face in, in this poor girl's crotch. And then it cuts away and it's just him jumping up with his fist in the air and suddenly he's got health back. It's stupid. It's amazingly stupid. I, I can take a leave of the fan service, but it's the funniest thing going. And um, it, it elevates what, what I say is, is, unexceptional gameplay and, and i've actually just been having a real blast so jumping in and out of five minute missions in this game it's massively one i would recommend <laughs> it's just so dumb nice well yeah. that sounds like a wild game and with that we're gonna now insert something that was totally done right now and not pre-recorded but really to you listeners it's all pre-recorded <laughs> <laughs> time to introduce keith webb hello listeners to the random insert that was definitely recorded at the same time as everything else uh we've got a special little topic for you today um we're joined by the one and only keith webb hello welcome thank you for joining oh, us hello yeah how, how are you guys you, you're all good we just had this conversation but yeah. <laughs> all the better for having you here that's the main thing lovely to have you it's always better the second time we're good <laughs> Um, we just wanted to ask you some questions because, you know, we all played Gogo Coco Polo, um, which is very fun to say. And we wanted to start just by getting to know you a little bit. And we're wondering, I guess actually maybe first, could you just tell us kind of where you based 
Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm based in in Oxford in in England, um, and in terms of the my I guess my background in video games design. So I um, basically come from an, an artistic background, an animation background, and I, I did a, a degree in digital animation, um, and this was just when back in the the early the late nineties, the early two thousands, when uh, things like Toy Story and Pixar was really taking off. Um, but during that, on that degree, I, I much more warmed towards the storyboarding side of stuff. So I kind of did all the, uh, the concepts, art, the character design, and the storyboards for the animations as opposed to the three D animation itself. Um, from then, that actually led to me getting a job um, as a storyboard artist for a company called Traveller's Tales, which is an Oxford-based, um, which is a UK-based company based in Manchester, so further up north, but they opened a their own branch in Oxford and that was set up to work on a Crash Bandicoot game, um, which we can talk about talk about yeah. later. But um, so yeah, so that's roughly how I got into the industry. Um, and then from then on, you know, basically wanted to branch out and try my own thing. So did you yeah, so you so you started in an art and like with storyboarding. Did you ever kind of imagine you'd be working for video games or was it just kind of like this happy coincidence? Yeah, no, I I always wanted to. I mean, when I was younger playing on uh in, in the UK we had the Amiga, which was a Commodore Amiga, and but I think for my tenth birthday. And um a lot of the games that I liked from there I didn't realise at the time but they were the Japanese kind of games. I didn't know where they came from. Um, things like New Zealand Story, which is a Taito arcade game, which, um, you know, very kind of cutie, um, but really well designed in terms of the way the levels are all put together. I think that inspired me um, and my drawing style. In, originally, it was kind of based on the more Looney Tunes Western style stuff, but then I think it was influenced after that, it started to get influenced by the Japanese, um, you know, kind of cute uh, no not necessarily anime style but that kind of you know cuter style yeah i know it's kind of like the toriyama like sort of yeah definitely yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. um nice so and was it oh sorry go on oh go ahead yeah. I, I was just gonna ask off the back of that is it the visual type of thing that you were drawn to in terms of games did you look for um the art more than sort of specific genres or gameplay types or anything like that yeah definitely i, I mean the, the kind of i think that was the first thing because i Anything that I didn't necessarily play or have access to, I'd have pull out the pages from magazines, anything that looked visually appealing. Um, and yeah, and the kind of in terms of the gameplay stuff, yeah, anything arcadey is what I like to kind of um, clear the screen of enemies type thing. Nothing necessarily too deep in terms of story, but in terms of the, the fundamental um, kind of aspect of it that was then, you know, kind of you'd have a simple idea, but it was built upon every iteration as you went through the game. Um, that's the stuff that really inspired me back then. And that's what I think with Coca-Cola, that's the kind of the birth of that started with a, the visual style that I started to absorb and also the, the, the game gameplay ideas. Yeah. I mean, I wrote down on my, <laughs> my little notes here for this interview, like just talking a little bit about the arcadey elements of Coca-Cola, because it definitely has that, that sort of feeling of like clear the stage and move up into this. Um, and I was wondering if there were, you know, I remember, I think I was reading an interview you did, but you talked a little bit about like almost reverse Pac-Man in some ways of where you're like yeah. getting the ghost and then they're chasing you. Um, yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about well, the that, games inspired? <laughs> yeah, sure. So actually what actually um, inspired the, uh, the very 
the the idea of a cat um, was my my parents when I was living in my parents' house. We had a stray cat that came into the garden. Uh, we adopted it. It was a white cat, and it would kind of it was a little bit wired, and so it kind of act all cutie. And then when you were stroking it, it would suddenly flip out, scratch you, and then you know obviously that's where the idea of, of some the scratching element idea came from. The um, the idea for the, the enemies uh, chasing you and having that chain, obviously it was inspired by Pac-Man and the kind of the reverse of that. But also I was, I was thinking recently, I was trying to remember why all the enemies are based on vegetables. And it was because the original idea was for a, a different game um, where you'd push the enemies into each other. So it'd be like a food chain. So you had the, the rabbits would eat the carrots, um, the enemies like that. And I think the, the word food chain, and then in my mind, with the chain of enemies chasing you, I think it all kind of came together. The name Coca Polo itself, I think there is a kind of mythological deity called Coca Pelli. I that at the time, and I think I took the name from a, a publisher called Coca Pelli Studios who published uh, so a few Japanese games, and I kind of saw that, liked it, and kind of. So all around that time, everything kind of just formed together. Um, yeah, it's difficult to try and trace back where everything came from, but somehow it all came together. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're always sort of telling yourself a little bit what happened, aren't you? You're sort of making up your own mythology a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and in terms of everything sort of coming together in a perfect storm, did that extend to DSiWare or was that? Yeah. Like... Okay. Yeah. So so that's interesting because I think you mentioned you saw it in a magazine, didn't you? Is that right? And I, I was definitely yeah. going to ask about the uh, the process of, of writing those dev diaries afterwards. But mm. yeah, I, I suppose if, if you want to sort of trace the, this interview starting, I picked up the game purely off the memory of reading those yeah. dev diaries and yeah. then brought it to the pod and, and Alex and Paula picked it up after the fact. Um, well, so I've, I've just, sorry, go on. Yeah, so I think that was in maybe 2006, 2007. So I was working at, um, I just finished working at Traveller's Tales at the time because that studio closed down. But whilst I was there, I... Uh, there was a a book that was coming out, which was a tribute book to to video games. Um, and it was called Game Pause, and I think I did a, a bit of artwork for it, which I've called Hyper Eight Bit Memories, and it's a big picture of all the characters, eight big characters coming together. Now, N Gamer did a, an article on the book, and so when they saw that piece, the book was never released, but they did an article. It they saw that piece, and they, they contacted me and said, "Could I?" Um, commission, could I allow them to print a, a massive poster of it? Um, that's how I got in touch with the magazine, Endgame. And then I mentioned that I was working on having had an idea for a DSi game. At the time, I don't even think DSiWare was a thing, so it was a DS game at the time, uh, which I was putting together and trying to see if I could get a publisher for it. I took that to a few publishers. That didn't work out, but off seeing the magazine, a programmer that worked with friends of mine from Traveller's Tales, got in touch with me, and that's how that got, got rolling. So it's all kind of like the steps that led up to that were all, all kind of came from that one piece of artwork that I did. Wow, you just huh. never know what's going what's gonna to come yeah, out of right? Exactly, yeah. So that, and the, yeah, the, so the first Coca-Cola was released in 2011, and I think the one that you guys are playing is probably the sequel that came out in 2017, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the 3DS one, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the first one, actually, we had to, um, after a couple of years, we had to delist that because it wasn't actually making enough money. We had to um, pay a insurance um, fee every month 
this was uh, in the early two, uh, 2010, 2011 time, where any kind of developers had to have um, professional indemnity insurance or something, uh, we have to pay that and the um, to keep the company open and the profits that the game was making wasn't matching that. It was like 36 quid a month or something. So, so we had to pull it, um, which is a shame, but it can still be played illegitimately, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there's probably a way to get a copy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so wait, so how did it get on DSiWare? Like, did you did you bring it to like... I'm I'm just curious about this process because you know, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> it was back then, I think it was a lot more tricky to get um, developer status with Nintendo. The... Um, the programmer who I mentioned before, who out uh, um, a guy called Zillard, and he, he he was from worked in Hungary. He'd worked on stuff like Pac-Man pinball and things for the GBA, so he had some contacts with Nintendo back then. Um, my company, Tanuki Studios, and his company, which was called Room for Games back then, joined together, and he had the connections with Nintendo, which allowed. As we had so many hoops to jump through, but we that mm. that's where that that stemmed from. Yeah, nowadays it's a lot lot easier. I mean, you can set up a company. Indie indie developers have a much easier time of you know um, getting stuff off the ground now. Yeah, you would have been like just like that's like like just before that kind of rush, right? Um, yeah, definitely. I think Xbox Live had come out a couple of years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were wasn't really. I mean, that that was. When that first started, I think it was more older, more established companies yeah. doing more experimental things as opposed to, to indie stuff, yeah. Yeah, it was like, you know, um, like Konami and like Capcom yeah, and stuff. Like there that's was like, right. Yeah, Square Enix putting out Final Fantasies, you know, think, yeah, stuff like that, yeah. Um, and was there a file size limit for DSiWare? So I remember that was a controversial thing for WeWork. Yeah, yeah, yeah so there was. We just managed to get it, it in under the file size. I forget what it was. I'm going to say it was like 16 megabytes or something. Um, I think it was. Yeah. So I, and when I was doing the magazine articles, I plotted out all the sprites beforehand, um, all the animation, everything. And when we realized how, what limit we had, I had to go back and basically condense them all kind of basically demake all the sprites, um, so that they could fit into the, into the memory. Um, which we did, we managed to get them all in, but that was quite a taxing process. But yeah, 16 megabytes. And I think in the first one, there is a intro sequence, um, which unfortunately doesn't have any music to it. And I think we had to make the music size was too, too big. We had to remove that or we had to decide early on that that wasn't going to happen. If there was ever a chance to do a physical re-release of that for a 10th anniversary, then I might try and get the music back in if that were to happen. I'm not saying it will, but yeah. if that were to happen, yeah, yeah. Nice. But we're not saying it won't either. <laughs> oh, I we'll see. <laughs> so, I don't know if I. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh dear! But that is actually like one that. of my enduring memories from the from the developer diaries is the um, the sprite sheets, particularly yeah. of Coco Polo, sort of going through the 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 diagonal slashing animation. Was that was that a lot of work doing the end game stuff, or did they did they help you? some with the writing what was the process like for that um i think i uh i think I, I i wrote it all um and i think they they probably came back with some edits on certain things but no i think yeah i, th- I think i pretty much i didn't do the layout for the i think i supplied them with all the artwork and the screenshots and stuff and i think they they laid it all out I, they might have given me some pointers i think we knew from the start that it was going to be four 
four issues worth. Um, and so I kind of split the process down into try to get a theme for each one, you know, like from the in inception of the idea and then through to the, the artwork and then and things like that. So, yeah, that, that's what I recall, yeah. Yeah. And did you did you get much sort of um, did you feel like you got much buzz back from that? Because obviously that was a weird time in terms of magazines. Yeah, like, uh, it was a weird, weird time in terms of magazines, but also in terms of um, feedback because the internet was still probably this is two thousand six, two thousand seven, and I think the internet was in. You didn't really have YouTube, did you back then? You didn't have anything it was where you just could get starting. It yeah. was just starting, yeah. Yeah. So you can you can really get much feedback, and I think. Um, I do remember that I was working on a website for for the game for Coca Polo for the first one, and I was kind of uh, I just happened to log into something like Go Nintendo or something. And I saw Coca Polo on there, and suddenly I was like, "What? Wait, I I couldn't." You know, obviously they picked it up from the article. I was thinking, "Is this my website? Did I do that? No, it's on. It's actually on a different <laughs> website." So um, I do remember that that strange experience. But yeah, it was tricky to get feedback there was a competition that i set up saying that the first 100 people um to reply or, or write to a specific email address could get their name in the credits um i think if anyone were to look at the actual credits in the game this isn't in the 3d one it's in the the, the original ds eyewear i think if you were there are 100 names in there and maybe not 100 people entered and maybe I don't know. There's a secret message in there somewhere. Um, if you read down the 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 first letter of each name, after about the first forty, um, it, it spells out something like, "I made the rest of these names up because only forty people entered or something." That's that's a secret. No one no one's found that yet. So that's there. If, if you if you wanna, yeah, How hey, there's a scoop. Yeah. That's exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, but it's, it's uh, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's, it's it is interesting because I think, like you sort of mentioned, even just in like five years after that kind of thing, like even just now, like I, I maybe 2015 after I don't know exactly when, but like mm. suddenly now the internet, it's just so many like games like this just kind of explode outward, right? Like there's such a, um, yeah. I feel like now is a good time to. <laughs> Go back to again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've always, personally, with me, I've always liked obscure things. And I think even going back to that picture that I mentioned, that Hyper 8-bit memories artwork that kind of kicked this whole thing off, if you were to look at that, I think I, I made, I purposely left out any famous characters. And I think there's there's obscure games that I put in there, you know, obscure Japanese games. Um even I, I made sure Mario wasn't in it. Some Mario characters are in it, but they're kind of the more obscure ones from like Mario 2, Triclide, and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I like the obscure stuff. And I think because Coca Polo, it would be nice to get. I just would like it to be preserved. I think that's the thing. You don't want it to be forgotten. I don't mind it being obscure, but I don't want it to be completely ignored and forgotten. Um, and that's the only, that's interesting because in. Open Critic, for example, it's currently number six um, out of all 3DS games. Yeah, what's that about? But it doesn't appear in Meta. Uh, it doesn't appear in Metacritic, and you have videos about hidden gems on 3DS. You have videos about top hundred games. Um, there's very there's no footage. There's no proof that the game 
actually exists, which is why I found your podcast so easily because you're the only people who've mentioned it in like 10 years. You know, so. And it's funny you say that because we've spoken about that a, a couple of times ourselves, the idea that these lists get homogenized anyway. Mm, definitely. And, and so yeah. everyone has the same hidden gems and, and things do yeah. um, I mean, fall into security. Yeah, is it a hidden gem if it appears in a video with like 75,000 views? You know, it's not, it's no longer a hidden gem. Um, so, yeah, but it's interesting. But there's, there's so many games out there. There's so many kind of um, people who put a lot of work and stuff and it just gets forgotten. And I think that's why, and again, not saying this, hap- this will happen, but if for the 10th anniversary there was a way of having a limited physical release of these, it might be quite nice. You know, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something to hold, something to, as you say, to prove that it that it was there. Like I said, now's the time. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It's just like with 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 obscure games. I mean, that's what we're all quite into as well. At least you know, we tend I tend to go and play. I mean, I've been playing just kind of obscure SNES games lately that I'm like, yeah, I haven't really heard of this, but whatever, try it out. You know, and like I just love going back and finding because I think what happens is you find you find interesting ideas, right? Oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes it's not always like, you know, I've popped in a few games where I was like, oh, not super polished, but this idea is really cool, you know? And like, it's really fun to get to go and find um, something like that. But then it's also a real treat when you find a game that like, this is what I think blew my mind with Coco Polo is that when we were looking it up, I was like, this game reviewed really well. <laughs> I was like, why didn't mm. I hear anything about this? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was a young kid, personally, on the DS when things came out. 2006, when we started high school or something. So, like, you know, it's hard to find games anyway when you're young. But, yeah. You they... made the fatal mistake of not reading the hit UK gaming magazine Endgame. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should have imported it. Dang it. <laughs> oh, cool. every, everybody read that. Yeah. Wow. Um, you mentioned in terms of sort of the file size and cramming things down. Yeah. Um, when yeah, we yeah. were sort of doing the reading yeah. um, around sort of the things you did before Coco Polo, um, there's some stuff about you doing art for, for old Java games. Um, I wonder yeah. if there are any parallels in terms yeah. of the, the downsizing so, and things there. It was, um, that was probably my first, uh, first job. And it, it was, it wasn't necessarily for Java games, but it was for the mobile, really, really early mobile, um, animations and kind of picture messages and stuff like that i think it was really really simple gifs you know really pixel art stuff black and white game boy monochrome style artwork so i I did that for about um it was about seven or eight months to a year that company closed down um but i think yeah that allowed me to figure out how to get something how to be quite precise, you know, with what you need to get on screen in terms of the stuff. I mean, something, because I came from a, a 2D hand-drawn background as well, I tend to draw a, a black outline around everything. A lot of these, I mean, you mentioned you were looking at the old SNES kind of library and stuff. I mean, the, what they can do purely just with colour without that outline is, you know, so something that you look up close, pixel art, and you can't tell what it is, but as you get further away, Boom, you know, something really good. I can't do that. I need to need to have that outline around everything, which obviously increases the pixel size because it's one pixel line around around everything. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of respect for anyone who can do, you know, proper pixel art where it's just really, really well thought out. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible stuff. I mean, I've been experimenting with like, you know, working on a little Game Boy game because I, I like making old stuff. <laughs> and like, yeah, sure I agree man. with you. I need that that outline. I'm like, I need that outline right there. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it shrinks it in, but it just, I don't know, it does something for my brain. <laughs> like, 
I, I've been trying to get into pixel art because I'm getting to game development. Yeah, cool. And I come also like from a traditional art background. So trying to, uh, I initially tried to do like the amount of detail on the little pixels and that doesn't really work out. So you yeah. have to pick and choose what's the most important thing you want to showcase. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like something, especially detail on, on the face or something like that. You know, if you, if you want to put a nose on there, you know, it's kind of like, is it just a nose and eyes and you kind of figure out the best color to represent all of them, if if that makes sense, you know, as opposed to having all the individual detail. And um, yeah, it's tricky. And with animation as well, um, this not so much now because you can, you can still have the uh, appearance of pixel art without the restrictions. But I think when I was working out how to condense all the artwork. So you'd have to repeat certain frames, you know, make sure you're, you're kind of using the best resources there and being quite resourceful. Um, so yeah, it's tricky. You can get that style across now without the, the restrictions, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. There is something fun about working within restrictions, but then you yeah. know, once you... Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, because you mentioned that, and, and games really at, at its core is just a bunch of rules and restrictions really when you think about it. I mean, you know, especially you've got open world stuff and then you have the more kind of unique the more rules and restrictions you impose on something begins to develop that that's how a game really develops and um yeah I guess the same with creating them as well. That's cool. Mm. I never thought of it like that. But yeah, you're right. Like because again, yeah, games are all these rules and I guess really the restrictions is the rules for the creating. And- yeah makes it makes making a game a little bit of a game itself <laughs> it's true well i really meta yeah yeah getting real meta now <laughs> um okay. awesome fantastic um let's see is there anything else we want to we've, we've been going we're keeping you a while we just got lots of questions for you Keith. <laughs> that's cool. uh, that's cool. um i wonder if you could talk a little bit though because i know you worked on crash twin sanity with um traveler sales i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because i'm wondering i mean working with them that must have opened some doors up right like i mean yeah 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 i mean what i'll say about that i think it was it's a great it was like three three four years um the best working experience in terms of a team that, that i've had you know in my, in my life and they um it was a great bunch of people probably about 60 people in total but 30 people at one time so you know you had a bit of kind of uh, people coming and going from the team. Um, I, I joined that because a friend of mine from university um, originally went there about a year before as a 3D character modeler. Um, and then that's when they were looking for a storyboard artist. And I, like I said, at university, I um, kind of started to, yeah, basically focus on that. Um, so, yeah, so I joined the team. Um, it was, it, there was no real necessary hierarchy in the way it was put together. And I think that's, really comes across in the game. It is very much a mis- 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 mismatch of lots of random ideas, but tried to make it work. And I think everybody had a, a voice and everyone had a ability to put something in there. We had no um, oversight from any of the other Crash teams. Um, and I think we just researched the old games, decided what aspects we liked, put it in, built a story around it, um, got something out the door. It, it went through so much... Um, so many changes um, and there's so much miss, missing content, lost content there, which I might try and do a proper video about. I've kind of done some interviews about it in the past, but there's a treasure trove of stuff. I've actually got a lot in my attic, um, which I'll probably get out and, and scan in and talk through at some point. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's got a cult following. Um, I think mainly because of the story and the humour in it, but also, yeah, the kind of the wackiness of it, you know. And uh, when I, I was concept, storyboard concept, conceptized, I came up with the the name Twin Sanity as well because they needed that right at the last minute. They didn't have a name for it. <laughs> I think it was one Saturday, popped into the office, and like the producer from America was like, "Quickly, we need we need to." Um, trademark a name for it and <laughs> i'm like the the enemies in the game are a couple of twins twin parrots so yeah twin sanity and that that's how that came about um but yeah 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 everybody in the team had a had an input um which for 95 percent of the time was great but the remaining five percent when you have anyone with creative vision if that doesn't match there's always a clashes and i think story and gameplay was the main clash in terms was focus on different sides of the team wanting different things. I think in the end we came up with a great, um, you know, kind of middle ground between them. But, but that was a bit of a, an issue, though. Yeah. Was Twin Sanity the one where um, he's connected with the yeah. Mad Scientist one? Yeah. So I've yeah, never played any, but I feel like I remember the adverts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that was. I don't know how long into the development that because that became the main focus of it, but that I don't think that was there from the start. I think that probably came in. I started about a year into development, and that was just starting to ramp up then. So, yeah, so that was an aspect that came out of the development and then was kind of used as a focus. Yeah. It kind of blows my mind that you had so much freedom with, with an established IP like that. Yeah. I think that's crazy. And for, for a lot of us, um, we're, all, we're all still friends now. We kind of catch up every so often, and a lot of them have gone... Um, to various other companies. I think none of them, everybody kind of laments the fact that we haven't, no one's been able to recapture that, those few years of that kind of allowing everybody to just basically do their own thing. Mm. Um, yeah. The the Vivendi Universal, who were um, in charge of the Crash franchise back then, did come down and f- threaten to fire us a couple of times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, uh, so the, the, it wasn't without without threat of, uh, you know, of being fired, but we, we got it out in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you find that like kind of creative spark with a team, right. It's just so hard. You're like, you want to get that. You want to, you just, you want to get that back. Right. That kind of. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. With that, we were talking about, you know, you have things like Banjo, Kazooie, which became ukulele. You had, um, I forget, Castlevania, Bloodstained, um, Mega Man, Mighty Number 9, you know, so you have those kind of... Not so much that one, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you have the kind of spiritual sequels. I think we have been, you know, we always talk about whether there could be an opportunity to do a a spiritual sequel to that, not using the Crash franchise, but but something similar. But I think a lot of the fans of the game are Crash fans, first and foremost, so I think they would rather see something official with crashing that we weren't involved with in as opposed to an unofficial release that didn't have crashing or something that's my thoughts right i see mm, well yeah i suppose that's so hard to gauge yeah. from the outside it's such a it's a trick one you almost don't know until you try it i think until you do it, yeah. that's right, stuff yeah. like that like i know it's weird for um, me i love castlevania and then bloodstain didn't quite sit with me and i'm like i don't know it's so yeah. weird yeah it's weird too because even with ukulele i really liked their side scrolling platformer that they made i was like this is amazing and then same with bloodstain i liked their 8-bit game they made curse of the moon is amazing and i'm like it's almost like the things i think i want i don't i just want the cool things they want to try you know i don't know that's true that's true you don't really know what you want that's the thing i have no idea (laughs) 
And uh, if I might, what what of that is the thing you wish the most could have been in the final game? In terms of twin twinsanity, yeah. Um, I think there's a few. Where is it? Um, there's a there was a big chunk that I think chunk of the game that was was cut out, but a lot of it was just in concept stages or you know concept phases or kind of ideas that were kind of. I, I don't really know. I, I don't think there's anything that I I think is missing from the overall. I think the flow is, it, it flows okay as it is. I think you you put something else in it might bloat it a little bit. Um, there was the 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 biggest most developed stage that was cut was one when it was inside Coco, who is uh, Crash's sister, inside her brain. Kind of like um, they get teleported in there now. That was there. There's very little footage that exists of that, but I think there there were some builds somewhere, but none of us have been able to find it. But there was an an enemy in there, which was an elephant um, that kind of spat out enemies out of its nose, out of its trunk. Um, that wasn't in the final game, wasn't in Twin Sanity at all, but very recently, that Crash Mobile game, I think it's called Crash on the Run or something like that, I forget what it's called, they put that character, you know, in it, so it, it never appeared, it was just cut content, you know, never made it, they've obviously paid homage to that by putting it in that game, so, you know, it's it, it, people pick up on the, the cut content, and I think they really like it, and they try and kind of put it in where possible. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's amazing for that to just crop up out of nowhere, what, yeah, 15 yeah. years later? That's right. Wow. It took us, I mean, no, nobody kind of reached out and asked us about it, so we just saw it on there. But, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, we like that. We like that kind of paying, paying homage to it, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, oh, did you say Rick? Uh, I was just going uh, well, to... Go ahead, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic. <laughs> the, the perks of the format. I... um. I wondered, um, just in terms of the Traveller's Tales times, um, mm. if, if you had any stories about two other things that were that were going. One, I think you were involved in from what I'd read, which was the Simpsons game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a fascinating thing to me, but also whether you'd sort of had any um, brushes with the the sort of thing that would become the Lego franchise, which obviously Traveller's Tales yeah. bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we do. Um, so we had, so first with the with the Lego stuff, so we did um, Crush Insanity, then we did some Super Monkey Ball Adventures, so Sega um, Super Monkey Ball game didn't, I think all the creativity from Twin Sanity, by the time we came to Monkey Ball, that all dried up, so it was like a really dull game, I, I, I admit it, nobody really, I think we had good ideas for it, but it, it just, it was a different time. After that, we, we were going to work on some Guinness Book of Records game, and I think the company our Oxford branch, none of us really wanted to do that because we, we all like platformers, you know, we kind of like, like that stuff. Um, then the deal, the Traveller's Tales main Manchester branch would have had the deal with Giant, um, I forget what the name was, but they came together to form TT Games, which had the Lego license. We worked on a prototype for Batman Lego back then, and we went to Legoland, um, just before, it was about, must have been 2005 time because Revenge of the Sith, the third Star Wars film had come out and we saw some, we got some Lego prototypes of that so we knew a bit about the film before it came out because we had um, things of it. That was being developed by the main Travis Tales branch. But yeah, I think that's when they started to focus on Lego games because that's where the money was, I think, and that's 
that's when our studio was closed down. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we were all offered the opportunity to go up to Manchester to work there. Only one person out of 30 people took them up, took them up on the offer because he lived in Manchester anyway. So I think he's still there now. I think he's a guy called Tim Webster, um, no relation to me and not Webster, but um, he, yeah, so I think he, uh, he's still working on the Lego games up there yeah, 15 years later. Wow. But yeah, no, it, it, it definitely became a massive thing. That's the Lego Land in Winter, right? You yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been there so many times as a kid. Loved yeah. that place. Yeah. Um, and then in, in terms of the Simpsons stuff, was that... Yeah. I yeah, so that was, you didn't have the same creative freedom you did as... With nah. Um, so that was, there was a company called Rebellion. Um, don't know if you've heard of them. They kind of do... Yeah, so they're based in Oxford as well. And they, um, they basically uh, had the... So they didn't work on the original Simpsons game, but they did do a Wii port of it, I believe, or a PS2 port. They did a port of it, and they had some exclusive stages in it. Um, and so I was brought into storyboard up ideas for the exclusive stages um, and the kind of, yeah, some content for it. I don't know how much of it made it into the actual game, but that was my involvement in that. And it wasn't a long, it was probably about four or five months, so it wasn't a massive um, chunk of time but but yeah that that's how I got involved with that hmm. yeah sorry I, I didn't really have much to go on that it's just I know yeah. I knew you'd done it and I just wanted to sort of touch on it a little bit um, yeah. Yeah. if if we go back to sort of the Coca Polo stuff um, yeah. when when we were talking about the game uh, one of the things that, that we sort of discussed quite a lot of was the map um, in terms of whether there could be more whether there could have been less um, I sort of felt like it was a little bit too small and it could have been done with being a bit bigger and showing the cannons and things like that. Alex vehemently disagreed with me, if that's mm. the right way to say that. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. Something really interesting. The, DS, the DSi version um, has a much smaller um, viewport, as it were, so you can see less ahead, um, less behind. So it gives you the sense of needing to react really fast because you don't know what's coming up, you know what I mean? Um, the 3DS one has more extended, you know, so you can see further ahead. You can kind of, um, you still have that sense of impending, you know, needing to make a quick decision. But you, because you can't see the whole map, you can't do the routes, you can't plan out route efficiency, you know, so you can't work out what is the best way around it. Um, so that there's kind of, you reduce one aspect and you lose something of the kind of, the, the fast-paced feel to it, and then you increase one, you have the more strategic planning element of it, you know what I mean? So I think it depends how, what you naturally want to in terms of a game. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I did find, I find with the first one, um, it was it was much more tricky. I'll, I'll see if I've got an uh, example. It was, it, you had to know the stages really well in order to properly... Um, react to everything i think hmm. yeah. and, and I, I suspect that speaks to your arcade bent in terms of wanting yeah. it to be oh you've got it up and running i love that yeah so there's i don't know if you can see there you can see how big the sprite is you can see how far ahead you can see mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah for it's, those it's watching, bit... listening it's like just a small kind of viewport yeah yeah, yeah. That. um we did we have worked on a prototype for a um a switch version or something like that um, and that allows you to zoom in and zoom out you could basically zoom out and see the whole of the stage oh. um, playing through that in my mind I thought that'd be great I thought that'd be really cool because you can figure out you can see where everything you see all the enemies moving around but playing through it it just seems very slow 
it's, it's running at the same speed, but it just seems so slow. And so I kind of, if, if we were to get back on finishing that off, I think we'd have a, a middle ground in terms of zoomed in a little bit, um, but then allowing you to zoom in and out, maybe in a time attack mode where you can then work your, your way around it. But it is interesting. It's something that certainly did, you know, I had to spend a bit of time thinking about that. And it's interesting that you two had different views on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I suppose if, if you're in a position where you can see the whole map at the start, I wonder whether uh, being able to see that before you start and then zooming most of the way in, because then yeah. you can plan your route, but then you also have what you don't remember and having to react to the bits that maybe you misremember. Yeah, um, exactly. Especially in that position, presumably the map's got to go at that point because you've only got the one window. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the map on the bottom screen has to go. Yeah, and also the, any kind of touch screen elements. Any when you eat the enemies, you know, obviously. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, with yeah. the roulette on the bottom screen. That's right. So with the three DS one is okay because you can eat up to I think twenty five enemies in that, which is great. But the DS one, you can only eat six. So if you're running around, that was based on the. I think it was to do with um, uh, there was technical limitations for that. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you had 12 enemies chasing, you would only eat the first six and then you'd still be chasing. You'd have to work on the bottom screen whilst also moving the top one, um, which is really, really tricky. Um, but yeah, so any Switch version would remove the bottom screen functionality completely. Yeah, because yeah, I love like, that. That's the thing that I love too, is the sense of speed. Like, I was like, yeah, was, like, just yeah. dashing through and running around. Like, I don't know. I just found that really enjoyable. But I can see what you mean. I, I do think probably part of that was because the camera's following me around, right? And like, there yeah, is just this yeah. feeling of going through. But yeah, I guess if it was zoomed out, I'd be like, I guess I'm fast, but yeah, yeah probably lose exactly. Yeah, tricky balance. Yeah. It feels really speedy, but uh, it is set up like in such a way that you can still like make those precise precise movements you, you need to do. So mm. I, I started to play the game this morning, by the way, so. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Um, I think I think a lot of people did have certainly with the first one. I think there was some feedback about the difficulty of it, and I think that was mainly to do with the speed. We we put a kind of uh, a slower speed option in there, um, and I think maybe when I was playing, because obviously I was developing the first one, I in my mind I knew the level layouts, and it's difficult to then remove that from your memory so you're looking at something new so i think um we did put a mirror mode actually in the first one which then really messes you up because you think you know the level but you don't and you're like i know i gotta go that way but oh no i don't you know what i mean um but yeah in terms of yeah the the feedback from the first one was that the speed and some of the placement of the enemies was a little bit brutal and so with the second one that you guys played i tried to curtail that a little bit yeah Hmm. It, it's almost weird because I, I have to be honest. I thought the second one was like a three D upscale of the first one. Yeah, it's only then yeah. it's only then actually when we were talking about it here that Alex sort of pointed out that actually no, that's like it's its own mm. whole game. So I'm still yeah. yet to go back. So that'll be nice. that'll be an interesting. Comparison. I mean, they are they are very similar. They're kind of like um, they obviously all the all the level layouts of the first one are completely different, brand completely different bosses, but the actual main core of the game is basically the same. But it was. The idea when we did the 3D one was how do we add any 3D elements to it? And by, by doing a direct port of the first one, the maps were set up in a way that didn't really allow for it. So I thought take the opportunity, reward people who played the first one by giving them a brand new follow-up to it, but also make it a little bit more accessible in terms of easier for, for newcomers to 
to pick up. Um, I'd say the first one has later on in the as you progress through the game, there's a lot more innovation in the first one, which I took out of the second one because I thought it was actually a bit too tricky, a bit too taxing. Um, yeah, there's a few interesting things that I, in terms of the, the layouts that I, um, I include in, in the first one, yeah, which the second one is a little bit more mundane, I'd say, but to make it a bit more accessible. Hmm. Yeah. And if, if there were to be a third one, what what... Uh, what kind of things would you want to do differently, maybe based on what you've done with the first two? Yeah, so the third one, like I said, a switch. That probably what I'd do is I'd do a switch um, mishmash of, of the two of them. So like the, the best aspects from both. And I think the, the zooming in and the zooming out is something that, that would like to get working in there. Uh, like I said, we do have prototype. It would just take a bit more time to actually get that to a, to a release-ready stage. Um, it's interesting, Coca-Cola was never supposed to be the main game series that my company would do. It's like probably the equivalent of maybe Pikmin to what Nintendo is, you know? So it's like, it's not what they're known for, it's the, the little thing. So I'd like to branch out and do the other game ideas I'd like to work on. But um, but yeah, Coca-Cola, back in these developer diaries, I always talked about a sequel, which I called Coca-Cola Paradise, which would be RP, uh, kind of RPG-style thing. Uh, in my mind, I see it very similar to, like, the Paper Mario-style view. So you have the 2D characters on the 3D background. Um, that might be something in the future to, to do, you know, to kind of work out how to do that. Oh, there is... Nice. And there was supposed to be a third one as well, wasn't there? <laughs> if, uh, if I remember rightly, there were, there were three things. There was a sequel... There was the action RPG, and if I go yeah. back to the article, wherever it okay. was. Did I mention I could There was those 2D side-scroller, which I, I kind of like. A, so Because in my mind, the way I saw it was Coca-Cola, the ones that you've played are like the Zelda 1. Mm. The Coca-Cola Paradise is like the Zelda 3, but there's always that weird second one. You know, there's the Mario 2 weirdness and the <laughs> Zelda 2 weirdness. And so the second one would be Coca-Cola Dash, which is a 2D side-scroller kind of spin-off series, which might introduce characters that are never ever seen again you know what i mean just purely for that that one thing as a tribute to all that stuff um whether i get around to doing that but that's in my mind that's what that second um yeah second kind of phase would be it'd probably be rubbish but it doesn't matter if it's if it's, if it's terrible because everyone hates the you know, the second well no the, it's you know yeah, exactly. It has its yeah. fans, Just you know, in like in like two decades, people will look back and go, "No, that was a that was the masterpiece, right?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it would be yeah. when VR is overtaking YouTube. There'll be people doing hollow essays on the magic yeah. of the of the obscure second Coca Cola entry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in fact, what the hell? I just let's just say mm-hmm. it's been released, you know, and then I don't have to make it, and then you know, just because no um, proof of it existing. <laughs> Um, you know, is on the internet. We can say it, it was released and now it's just been forgotten. Did you and say then, you did you know, it to the Ouya? No one can prove yeah, any different. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one preserved it, so you just, I don't know, we, we just can't find it. Maybe it's yeah. physical somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Fantastic. Thank you so much for yeah, joining us. That was cool. Kept you for cool. No worries. Yeah, it was really this good. Is, this is great. Um, and, you know, if you ever have any more news or anything, you, you let us know. Happy to chat with you. It's great to hear about these things. Where can like listeners um, learn more about your work or follow you? I don't know if you want to plug anything or not. Yeah, Find out what's coming next? When, if <laughs> when it is always yeah, the next in the next ten years because that's how long these things <laughs> take on these things. 
Yeah, no, a website, uh, www.webstar.com, but that's really out of date, and that's got my um, concept on from maybe the Crash Bandicoot days and stuff like that. Um, I do have a Coca Polo Twitter account because, like I said, the 10th year, 10th anniversary is coming up. That's something I'll probably start to populate a little bit more. There's nothing on there. There hasn't been anything for years, but I'll start to ramp that up, I think, as we approach the 10th year, if something, it looks like something might be ready to announce then. But we'll see. Awesome. fantastic and we'll uh, we'll put those in the links down below why don't you hit smash like and subscribe <laughs> sorry <laughs> rich just loves to put that plug in well thank you so much uh, for yeah. joining yeah. us keith uh, yeah no worries no worries that's right well wasn't that an incredible interview genuinely though it was really really fun to have keith on and hopefully we're gonna have keith on again in the future so uh keep an ear out for that i guess <laughs> Keep your eyes on the web. Yeah, keep your eyes on the old. <laughs> Can't get one day without a pun. <laughs> <laughs> this was the double wabby. But again, thank you, Keith, for coming out. Um, it was really genuinely cool a great time. It. Genuinely yeah. a really, a really lovely interview. Coco, I mean, Coco Polo is still on the 3DS. Eight bucks Canada, so check it out. Are we ready now yeah. for the final segment of the day? How I long mean, to are, be? are we ever ready? Are we ever ready for? How long, How long to beat the, the game? <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> it is my editing week, so let's have a look. Oh, Rick, you're, you're causing problems for yourself in the edit. <laughs> I, yep, yep. This whole day has just been a problem for me. <laughs> it's just not been okay. Uh, I, <laughs> you haven't seen my microphone. What's the game? Oh my god, what's, what's happened to your microphone? Hang on, no, no, no. Let's uh, see what's happened to your microphone. It didn't work this morning, so it only worked if I pressed the, the Just dial. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listen, if it's stupid and it works, how stupid is it really? Okay, what's the game? The game, and I'm, I'm assuming this is a game. I've literally never heard of this before in my life, so I kind of want us mm-hmm. to do it. The Charnel House Trilogy. The what? Charnel House? Yeah, whatever that uh, is. <laughs> is this a point and click? Quite possibly. I literally haven't. I've, this is the first time I've ever heard oh, of this thing. It's on Steam? It's on yeah, Steam. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. So it is, it is actually an actual game. Uh, the chronicle of one fateful night aboard a train bound for Orga Peak. Three thrilling, horrifying adventure games in one from the depths of the Sepulchre. Starring Madeline Rue, Peter Willington, Jonathan Greer, Jim Sterling, and Ben Chandler as Grub. I wonder if that's a shout out. Good old Jim Sterling. All right. Well, I think I have an idea. Um, I'm like, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm also going to be lowballing this one. <laughs> I'm going to go five, five, five. <laughs> oh, dear. Look, look I'm at this game. Go... There's no way this game is long. Yeah, I'm going six, seven, eight. In fact, Six seven seven. Six six six. I'm talking myself down. I don't know what's going on. Six 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 down on the booth. What do you think, Paula? Uh, five 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 for Paula. I'm gonna go five five five. Yeah. All right, Rick. Look at this. A week with no half hours. Yeah. Let us. Let it. Let's see. What is it? Oh, I can fix that if you want. No, Uh you don't need to. I mean, do what you want. I don't really care. (laughs) I mean, I'm just gonna half an hour. Sorry, too late. Oh, okay. no. oh we're, all, 
we're all spot on. So it's uh, two hours, two hours, two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Yep. Well, there we My go. Are never... Which means the score is 58 for Rick, 53 for Alex, and 50 for Paolo. So we're at the exact same place once again for the Charnel mm. House Trilogy. Oh, geez. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the How Long To Be podcast. Can't wait to see you all next week, which for us, we'll be recording very soon again. <laughs> but Yeah. We also won't really be seeing you. That's the conceit of the format. That is so true. <laughs> Toodaloos. And you won't be seeing us most effective. Heroes next week. I have a bone to pick with you, Paula. You said what you had thoughts you? on 13 Sentinels. Were you streaming, sweeping me along? Was that just a lie? We're to trying to get, to get you back? to come on. <laughs> oh. oh, is that how little you thought of me? You thought I was avoiding it, and I hear 13 Sentinels. Like... We didn't think you were avoiding it, but we just thought that 13 Sentinels would just like subconsciously awaken you. <laughs> yeah, for you just go like, like, they're insulting my wife. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Alex was like, uh, oh, I'm going to think 30 Sentinels is shit or something like that, <laughs> and he will come here, hopefully. I was the coward. Really I, I made her do it. <laughs>